to the Almost Sideways Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Daly, and these are my daily notes where I have fun discussions with guests. And we talk about film. Today's going to be interesting because I'm back doing an interview. I hadn't done one of these since January, but I'm really excited because I have a special guest from Canada, which is cool. Uh, but she's a fellow f- a film lover as my, like myself, and her name is Canada Cinema on YouTube, but you can call her Amanda as well. Uh, on Twitter, you know, she's a really big uh, poster. She posts a lot of stuff, a bunch of different cool reviews. She's an awesome podcast. We discussed about how she got started really in film criticism and what kind of really inspired her and some of her favorite films like from Martin Scorsese. We really dig uh, get into that too. She was a theater kid. Really fun conversation. Really enjoyed talking to her. And we have some plans, possibly doing some other reviews and having her on for some almost sideways deep dives. I think she would be really awesome. I think we talked about doing the like The Departed would be because that's one of her favorite movies and mine too. So really cool to talk about that. And maybe when Harry met Sally was another one we discussed too. So but anyway, I don't want to spoil the review, uh, interview with you guys. So make sure you guys check that out. But uh, I also want to leave a couple movie reviews on this one a couple weeks ago about at this point uh february 24th uh about four years ago get out came out and we did drop a review on youtube so make sure sure you check that out if you want to but here's the audio version i'll put the link to the interview as well as the person that's collabing on that that uh that review i said i meant and that is uh the get out review on YouTube is joined with Emma from Spooky Astronaut. She's a horror reviewer as well. And we deep go into this movie a little bit of Get Out and discuss it. And she brings a lot of her horror expertise into it and does a lot of the symbolisms and stuff like that. So really fun conversation we had there. That's on a live one. It was kind of pre-recorded stuff there. But it's fun to still listen back on that older kind of video in a sense. But, you know, get into uh, some of our thoughts of that very great film there. I also recorded a review uh, for Nine Days, which is a film that's getting some awards consideration in the Spirit Awards for Benedict Wong supporting uh, supporting role character, uh, supporting actor in, a, in a, or actor, best actor in a supporting role, I should say. So I reviewed Nine Days. I, you know, I, 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 w- I want to talk about what, how I thought about it right now, but I, I wanted to discuss some of these award-considering films and sp- some smaller ones as well. And Nine Days is one definitely a smaller film getting some 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 love there in the awards circuit. So definitely check that review out on either YouTube or it's been this audio podcast. So I saved you some uh, time going to different a different space. But we would love your clicks and uh, likes and such on YouTube as well. But anyway, uh, yeah, let's get into our first segment. I- Hey everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways channel, and this is a place for movie conversation. Today's conversation is going to be very interesting. i got a special guest joining me, but my name is Adam, and today's special guest is another host of the Almost Sideways movie podcast, and that's Mr. Zach Saltz. Zach, how are you doing today, buddy? Oh, I'm excellent, man. I'm like I'm like Dirk Diggler, ready to record a session in the 1980s. Let's do this, man. I was born ready. <laughs> Heck yeah, let's do it, man. You texted me. Have you let's talk let's do a review about I Care a Lot, the Golden Globe nominee, actually winner now for Best Actress, Rosamund Pike. And kind of a kind of an awards contender film, maybe. Who knows? Uh, so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I have a lot of things to say about it. I think you do too. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, uh you know, T- Todd has watched this movie, Terry has not seen it, they were not interested in talking about it. My wife fell asleep watching it. I'm dying to talk about this movie with someone, okay? Low-key, I don't actually know that many people have seen it. I mean, it made news this week with the Golden Globes. Maybe more people will watch it. But 
it is definitely a movie worth talking about, for better or for worse. And I saw your your tweet about it and was very intrigued. Yeah, if you guys hadn't seen it, I might pop a tweet up right there. There we go. Uh, yeah, you know, I, th I thought it was such a promising film to start off, and then all of a sudden it's like super one of my most disappointing watches, and I think it was just a little bit of frustration. However, I kind of wound up kind of enjoying it kind of in a way uh it was weird uh, how about we talk about kind of what the film is about actually let's, let's start off rewind a little bit this movie is i care a lot which is a netflix streaming film directed by jay blakeson starring rosamund pike and peter dinklage and it's not by way, just, to, just to clarify it's not like jay roach or like jay sherman <laughs> it's the letter j and then with no period after the J. I find that very curious, and I want to know more about it. Yeah, that is true. And he's only, this is only his fifth uh, film that he's ever directed. The biggest one that he has that went to theater was, uh, I believe, a Chloe Grace Moretz film called The Fifth Wave, which was, I believe, a young adult's adaptation. So take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but anyway, I care a lot. Rosamund Pike, Peter Dinklage, great cast here. First initial reactions coming from you, Zach, when you, your gut reaction from the film. So I got to say, this movie for the first hour was absolutely terrific. Yeah. It had me totally invested in it. And I, it, so it tells a little bit of back, backdrop. It tells the story of the Rosamund Pike character. Her name is Marla Grayson. And as we begin the movie, she begins with this great monologue about how conniving and cutthroat you have to be to make it in the world. It sounds like Jack Nicholson in The Departed or something. Great way to open the movie, right? And then we find out that the way that she makes her money, this sort of gimmick or grift that she does is by taking legal uh, guardianship of elderly people um, by rigging this scheme where a doctor declares them um, unfit to care for themselves. So she essentially takes property of their house, their assets, uh, their car, their jewelry, everything. Now, in a weird kind of parallel, I'll pause for a second. I couldn't help but think about the Britney Spears documentary watching this movie a little bit. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but that is all about... It's, it's almost the same issue, uh, except instead of Rosamund Pike, it is Britney's father who has taken conservatorship of all of her assets and has launched mm -hmm. the Free Britney movement. Yeah. Do you have any reaction to that, Adam? Have you seen that yet? I've, I, I can understand the comparison. I haven't watched it personally, but I, everything I'm hearing about that, it, I, that's a great actually comparison, kind of an out-of-box thinking on that. And uh, yeah, I think it ties in pretty well. I, yeah. I, I can't argue well, with well, well what's, what's interesting about that, so like, you know, the people, so, I, you know, and we'll talk about this, but like some people have criticized this movie for being unrealistic, right? Oh, how could this woman devise this scheme and really get away with it? Well, look at Britney's father, okay? There are real world <laughs> examples here where people get away with this crap every day. So yeah, you, you do have to suspend disbelief maybe a little bit in the beginning, but it's not that far-fetched that this woman could get away with what she gets away with, particularly, you know, I don't know where this movie's set, but I like this This could really happen in like Florida, right? This, this, this feels like maybe a Florida, Florida yeah. movie. Oh, I don't think it's set in Florida, but it's realistic that that it's uh, it, it could take place there. And then I, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. as the judge, I mean, he doesn't say shit anywhere in the movie, which was a big disappointment, but like he's totally on board with her scheme. He signs off on everything. So anyway, we get this great scheme. So the plot of the movie is one day she finds this uh, older woman played by Diane Weist, who had, by the way, great seeing Diane Weist again, uh, who lives yeah. in this big expensive house, no relatives, no, you know, she doesn't have, a, she's retired, apparently has a lot of money. 
And so she gets in this scheme where she says, hey, you know, uh, I'm now your legal guardian. Come with me. You're going to live at the old people home and uh, we're taking away your cell phone so you can't call your lawyer. As it kind of goes along, we realize that the scheme that Rosamund Pike has has hatched up along with her her partner, uh, uh, Isa Gomez, uh, mm-hmm. is um, she has picked the wrong person. How shall we say? She has gone through this process of picking out these old people and really manipulating the whole system. But with Diane Weist, she finds out, ooh, there's some baggage with her. And and she's getting involved with the wrong people. And one of those wrong people is involved with Peter Dinklage. And it kind of all falls apart. Now, I got to say, the setup for this movie was fabulous. I wanted to know about this woman, her plan, her her, her scheme, which I think is very realistic. Uh, the, the way that she presents, Rosamund Pike is tremendous in the first half of this mm-hmm. movie. I want to just know more about it. You know, mm-hmm. what, what, what was your reaction? The first half, the good half. Whew, man. Talk about the most frustrating. It was, it was kind of like really witty. It was kind of darkly witty in a way. It was really snap, uh, snappy dialogue, which kind of resembles, um, Sorkin a little bit, uh, very you know Sorkin. Yeah. He's really good with that quickie dialogue. It kind of had yeah. that really snap witty dialogue that he's known for. Uh, Roseman Pike knocks out of the park. She's smoking a vape, which was like, oh, the biggest was thing. That was maybe my favorite thing about the movie. This character MVP vape. right there. The highest oh. war is that vape. Highest the war vape. is that vape. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that wins the movie. That was perfect. <laughs> Exactly. I think this is probably, I, I was watching, I was like, man, this is Rosamund Pike's like second best performance beside Gone Girl, I think would be my personal favorite one. Uh, and then it, it keeps going along and rivaling layers. And I'm doing a lot of like, I usually, my TV's like usually right here. And my wife's watching it with me and uh, we're watching it. I'm getting more, more into it. And you can tell I'm getting more invested because I'm starting slowly doing the chair and I arms across the chest, just watch the movie. Right. It's like a lot of sighing and popping. Right. like, this is frustrating the hell out of me, but I can't get, it's like, I can't look away. I'm like, cause I can totally see this happening. I can totally see this being happy. And you're like, you feel completely helpless. There is a guy uh, in the film that, you know, the very, the very first person you see that she kind of takes control uh, over before they meet Diane Weiss's character. You really feel for that guy in there. He can't see his mom. Oh he, yeah. He, Make him blur. Yeah. Yeah. You can't see. He can't see his mom, and uh, he's being tackled out of this uh, old person's home, and because uh, he's not granted access to her, and it, it's so frustrating to watch it. But it's something that I could totally see happening, and it's yeah. just like it's 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 and she has like the whole her in her um, Marla's office, like she has on all the the pictures, all the her her wards that she's the war or warded over, I guess, and. Uh, Man, it's Great like visual. imagine all those different uh, those stories and those that visual. It's just this like jaw dropping. So that that was kind of my first initial reaction of the first like hour of this. The whole setup to the whole hour, first hour is like that's a four star movie right there because it makes you feel like uh, so many different emotions. And then the second half happens. Now yeah. I don't know if it was the same experience for you. I can't pinpoint a particular scene or moment when this movie went in the wrong direction. I feel like I it your comparison was good with Aaron Sorkin. I felt like it was a Steven Soderbergh movie. Like it was very oh, much yeah. attacking um, the hypocritical institutions of American society. Um, there was definitely a thank you for smoking vibe. Um, oh, that movie, was, yeah. or thank you for not smoking. The Aaron Sorkin, uh, Aaron uh, Eckhart movie. Eckhart, yeah. 
And then when this whole kidnapping plot starts, and this is maybe we'll get into spoilers a little bit, I was like, okay, I, I'm down with this. It, it can work. It's kind of going in a Coen Brothers type direction, but it's okay. I mean, this movie also has a bit of the Lady Killers and Burn After Reading in it. I mean, it's it's hard to deny. But then it just completely abandons the Rosamund Pike character's career storyline, and she turns into an action hero. Yeah, she becomes Liam Neeson and Taken. She becomes Liam Neeson and Taken. And I don't know, Adam, it's like, and I don't think, you know, I don't think what we're saying is particularly original. It's been commented a lot by other critics and fans. Why did this movie just feel like it had to abandon this amazing setup and turn into this uber, uber conventional um, sort of revenge fantasy movie? I don't get it. Yeah, that's Jay, one of the things. tell us, man. Jay, what is wrong? <laughs> yeah, letter J. Uh, let, let us, uh, let us, uh, know what why why exactly this happened because it, it the thing is when they introduced peter dinklage it's like okay okay I, i'm really a big fan of game of thrones oh, dinklage is great yeah. uh, the station agent and a lot of the other like the small roles and now he's getting like this play like this menacing villain and i i, I like that however the, the point of the, the film is this movie's little like take and turn doesn't work because both the characters are unlikable they're both yeah. villains so the movie you have no you're not rooting for anybody well i, I think they want you to root for uh, they want you to root for uh roseman pike but and yeah, of course they do i don't want to root for her not because i don't like her but i just love hating her so much i mean that yeah. that was when is when has there been a really great like nurse ratchet just terrible antagonist in recent movies like it was fun to hate this person in the first half hour the making blair scene was excellent. Um, I don't know, Adam, if you listen to our Silence of the Lambs podcast, but yeah. Terry had the genius idea of recasting Hannibal Lecter uh, as, as Peter Dinklage or Peter Dinklage as Hannibal Lecter. And it's funny because I mean, he's amazing in this in this role. Um, and you wouldn't think that I mean, he's really good in it. Roseman Pike is good in it. They're interesting characters. Yeah, they're both unlikable. But then but why is this movie so bad in the second half? Like, there's a lot of really uh, logical issues for me. And this is where I will definitely put up the spoiler warning yeah. because we're going to talk about them. Um, okay. First off, she gets kidnapped. She has the kidnap scene. Okay, no. They try to uh, – this is where I feel like it truly took, took a turn for me. Peter Dinklage is, you know, has the warnings to, like, get his mother – uh, Diane Weiss's character mm -hmm. out of this nursing home, right? So they send the lawyer, right? The snazzy lawyer, good scene, uh, and then good scene. Yeah, I really love that his intro, and I think yeah. he has a pretty cool character. Yeah, uh, of course, you know the Chris the, he goes, Yeah, he goes the uh, through the the judge and everything. The lawyer, I'm not the judge. Yeah, the judge. Um, and you know, denied. Okay, cool. We're gonna move on to the next thing. Um, and then it's them breaking in at pr these three guys. The, there are three henchmen trying to break into this nursing home. Uh, very cleverly, I think. It's, uh, it kind of yeah, makes sense. It's it makes good logic. The logic's still holding true. And then all of a sudden, these three bumbling idiots are get shot in this nursing home. <laughs> so two of them are dead. One of them gets a bag over by Rosamund Pike. And then... Is that all the all his henchmen that he had? He's supposed to be like this big mafia guy. What that like? You knock three of the guys off in one job. Like when does that ever happen in a kind of quote unquote mafia type like style? He's supposed to be like some big overlord. So I'm logically like, so you're wiped out and you're you can clearly see Diane Weiss. Like what when you have a guy like running over to her and getting if you had another henchman type of thing, you would think. 
Uh, and so then they go to the next plant and then that's when they do the kidnapping thing. And uh, do you want to comment on that, that little series of events first before we move on to. Well, I actually, I actually didn't mind that, that scene. So I thought that was kind of a cool scene with the shootout. And then Diane Weiss is almost, she almost gets away. I yeah, think I, that, looking my, back on it, looking back on it at, as the movie went along, it's like, are maybe these that the was only the three point. henchmen? Yeah. It's like, are these only three henchmen? Cause I didn't mind it. In, in the moment, but I was like, is that the only three henchmen they got? And then I said, slowly, slow the movie going. It's like, wait, really? They just wasted all their guys on one job? Like, that's where it was getting a little more frustrating. Exactly. That. You just nailed it, Adam. That was my problem. It wasn't even so much the idea of the Russian mob getting involved, although the Russian mob also ruined the of end course. of training day, too. So, you know, <laughs> less Russian mob, please. But the real problem is, why are they investing so much effort on one little old lady? I mean, I get that she is this conduit, but Rosamund Pike just needs to give up at a certain point. She's got 50 other old people clients. Are you telling me that this lady is that much more of a cash cow than everybody else? Now, I get it. Okay, the movie wants to show these action scenes and we need some excitement in the story. But at a certain point, it becomes inconceivable that either Rosamund Pike or the Russian mob would really have that much of an interest in this situation, seeing as there is a substantial loss of life in this movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's not just the it's not just the henchmen that die, but there's another doctor who dies in the movie. And then there's a scene where Rosamund Pike gets kidnapped and then she's, you know, they, they try to fake her suicide. And it's like, why are we going to these extreme lengths? I mean, it, it just seems it seems ridiculous, you know. We, it's already a stretch to believe that this vape smoking woman who goes to court can suddenly turn into, you know, like um, Angelina Jolie or something, right? But the fact that all these people are investing so much effort is never fully explained, and therefore, I kind of didn't. I, I just I, I I lost interest. There's like, like a disconnect there. Yeah, yeah exactly. And. Moving on to that, when they the kidnap scene, they don't just try to fake her death, but also um, Isaac Gonzalez's character, who is Fran, uh, kind of in the relationship with Marla, right? Right. So they try to fake her death by having the of the, uh, the typical oven on with the the gas leak and everything like that. So you have this kidnapping scene where they put her fake her thing like what was like smearing off or whatever in like the front seat and they have her go off the ledge with marla's character off into the lake and she survives longest breath like holding your breath scene of all time i think with that constant like strobe light that like would cut in and out like obviously you're cutting right on those scenes but whatever and then she gets out goes to the gas station fixes up inside the gas station with hardly any dialogue and then she gets back to her apartment via like uber or taxi to save her girlfriend, which was kidnapped way like there's she probably would have been dead in real life. But yeah. there was such a, the time frame and logic doesn't make sense for that. And I was like, really? And I was just like, this like this is this is becoming stupid. Even my wife, who is a little more forgiving than, um, you know, you and I would be. And even she was like, this is dumb. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like the second half of the movie adaptation when Chris Cooper and Meryl Streep, you know, start a relationship and Nicolas Cage goes. It's like, it's it's almost so bad watching it. You almost think, because the movie's so smart in the first hour, that it's just playing playing everything for, for a joke or something. Like, I, I, what what is this, like meta or something? Like, this yeah. movie's way too intelligent for that. And so, you know, it's just a disappointment because... 
I think the movie wants us to start rooting for Rosamund Pike as some sort of um, feminist uh, hero who's out to get uh, the villains of this movie. But because we hate her at the beginning, there, that's that empathy is sort of lost. I feel like it might have almost been more interesting to show the development because there's there's an undercurrent in this movie about how her and Isaac Gonzalez are are building up their business, right? And they want they want to sort of take over everything. At the beginning of the movie, they're already successful. Why not show them maybe even a further backstory, like uh, you know, where maybe they're in court with Chris Messina and he he wins, and so she's like agitated, and 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 that becomes more like you know a re the revenge sort of arc of this story. But can we talk about the ending though, like the last ten minutes, really? Because that that's when the movie was just totally like, oh my god. Yeah, I know. I was like looking at the time at the time of the movie. I was like, uh, how are they going to wrap this up in like 20 minutes? That makes it make sense. And go ahead. Talk about the ending. Well, OK, so the ending of the movie is uh, OK. First of all, I, I was actually intrigued by what Jay was trying to do with the story. So instead of um, Rosamund Pike having to uh, acquiesce to defeat or Peter Dinklage having to acquiesce to defeat. They're both kind of basically tete-a-tete, -tete, right? Peter Dinklage says, you know what? Why don't we go into business together? And Rosen Pike's like, mm, yeah, that, you know, that actually could kind of work. And then we get this fantasy where like she's building this global empire where she's the conservator across the country and she's on the television news and all that. And she's a celebrity. I mean, it's a little far-fetched. At this point, I've lost interest in the movie. I'm kind of intrigued by it. Okay, whatever. But then the Macon Blair character shows up again. And he shoots and kills her. Why? What what is the point of that? Jay, come on, man, tell me what 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 are you trying to do there? Have you really just you you're trying to now make it like a uh, you know, a Jesus allegory? Like she has to sacrifice herself? Are we supposed to feel bad at the end of the movie? I feel bad for Mason making Blair. I mean, he kind of had a good point in the first half hour of the movie. What I feel like it's a screenwriter who ran out of options at the end of the movie and again was just going for broke in those last, you know, 45 minutes. Yeah, that is uh, very true. But I secretly kind of liked it because I'm like, yes, finally, some something made that makes sense could have happened because <laughs> we've had so much like at the like the last 45 minutes of the movie didn't like logically didn't even add up like it makes sense like even if they went into business for themselves that's where I kind of in hindsight like was frustrated because she captured them him so easy Peter Dinklage's character that is so easily out of his like own building oh yeah oh that was yeah that was an absurd scene like in a parking garage and then, I mean by that yeah, point and then all of a like well you're a John was, you're a John Doe phone, but... <laughs> yeah yeah, that, exactly. And it's like you, now you're a John Doe. You can't talk, and it's like it's like oh my. And, I, oh, and then she yeah. became. I'm and like, then she's gonna. Honey. I was like, watch. She's gonna be his war, like the in charge of it. And that's exactly. I'm like, it's like oh my god. It's like really. <laughs> I was like really wow. And then at the end when she dies, I was like, yes, I'm on board again. Because <laughs> I'm like, because well, of course this movie did that. <laughs> that's exactly what why. I don't know. I was expecting but. like a Thelma and Louise esque montage at the end, or like uh, that stupid uh, "Pay It Forward" Haley Joel Osment. We like let's give them like a oh. nice you know, montage. Oh, she lived such a great life. I felt like that's what the movie was trying to say at the, which was just perplexing and confusing. But okay, I I did a little bit of research for this movie. I have to tell you, so nice. this movie has the biggest split between critics on Rotten Tomatoes and audiences on Rotten Tomatoes that I have ever seen. Okay, now for context, Ooh. 
For context, Ghostbusters, the Melissa McCarthy Ghostbusters, 74% critic approved, 50% fan, 24% difference, right? Captain Marvel, 79% approved by critics, 45% fans. I care a lot. 80% of critics give it a thumbs up. 37% of fans give it a thumbs up. That is a 43% difference. Now, maybe there's other movies out there that have a bigger split. I bring this up because it is the final kind of perplexing thing about this movie. I feel like this movie is getting trashed by the fanboys out there who mm -hmm. don't like the idea of Roseman Pike being um, someone who can kick ass. And they're misogynistic and they're sexist, and I buy that. I, I feel like we can still have these criticisms of the movie while simultaneously acknowledging that the fan reaction to this movie is unfair. If you go on the IMDb user review page, it is one out of 10, one out of 10, one out of 10, just rows and rows of it. It makes me kind of like the movie more. <laughs> because yeah. one last thing, I found one that's super big difference. Okay. Okay. What, what's and that? When you said you, you said exactly right. The fanboys. It doesn't get any more bigger fanboy than one one franchise. That's Star Wars. Star Wars: The Last Jedi, ninety percent a critic, forty two percent fan. Oh, wow! With oh, they which a hundred thousand plus reviews from uh, view uh, fans supposedly. You found it. You found the bigger uh, division. That is amazing. But those other ones, exactly, though. A lot of people just automatically hate on it. And those are like Ghostbusters, Brickets Brought Up, Captain Marvel, and The Last Jedi because they just go in and trash those movies for whatever reason. Sometimes there's even accounts where bots will go in. They like set up bots for yeah. these, these movies to trash. So anyway, this movie's, not, your this movie's not a bad movie. It's not a one out of ten movie. For me, it's a solid two and a half star movie that is w one of the more schizophrenic experiences I've ever had because the first hour was so amazing and the last hour was so predictable and derivative. Mm -hmm. And it's not a bad movie. I want I, I, the, the fan reaction makes me want to like it more. I really like Roseman Pike in it. It's a disappointment in how great it could have been. Absolutely, and that's where I'm at. I'm I'm kind of in that same realm for you. I, actually, I do give it a positive, the three, because that ending was just like, yeah, <laughs> I was like, finally. But because the, the the first hour, you don't understand how good it is until you actually watch it, because it makes you feel like the the roller coaster of emotions, and then it drops down to like a two star movie. And I was like, because you have to, the first half is still has to come play with that second half. But uh, then I was like, okay, I'll just give the three. Because I'm like, where do I put it? It's two and a half, three stars. I'm like kind of floating in between those, depending on that. But I think you you kind of nailed the, uh, hit it right on the head is that the fanboy reaction of how off much they don't like it kind of makes me kind of want to just give the positive. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> America, listen, okay. Roseman Pike won a Golden Globe for this movie. That's a bit extreme, but okay. I don't see her getting an Oscar nomination. That would be kind of crazy. But you heard us here on the Daily Notes on the Almost Sideways podcast. Watch this movie until the break-in at the Senior Home Center. And then go, go do something else. Come back at about the hour and 40-minute mark to watch Macon Blair make a great reappearance. By the way, Macon Blair is like the Harry Dean Stanton of this generation. Any movie he makes is automatically better with him in it. And um, just, you know, don't, don't watch the second part. 
You've seen it before. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. no point. I've seen it and we've seen, seen it done better too. So uh, <laughs> I was going to, what's her odds that she gets nominated though? I know you said she doesn't, but this year's kind of weird. It's a weird year. I mean, I, I'm now kind of rooting for it because of the, the fanboy reaction. That would be that would be fun to watch. Pissing off fanboys is uh, is always jolly fun. But sadly, I I don't I don't know if I see it. I think it's a little too stacked this year. Yeah, this year's it's a weird one. But Rosamund Pike, though, any other year, this is a fantastic performance. Even though the movies around her is kind of shambles, her performance was like. Her uh, spin in like a James Bond movie that she did, that would have been a little uh, different. But uh, this one's actually on top tier Rosamund Pike performance. This is definitely on the Mount Rushmore of Rosamund Pike performances, I would think. My favorite Rosamund Pike performance was one of her early performances in the movie Barney's Version, where she plays Paul Giamatti's third wife. She's great in that movie. There we go. Yeah, that's a, that's a good performance. I, I'm a big fan of the Gone Girl movie. I know that you have interesting things to say about that one, too. You weren't as well, big fan as I Look, the fanboys have seen Gone Girl, too, and they know who Rosamund Pike was in that movie, and maybe that is influencing how they view her in this movie and their user oh. comments on IMDb. I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. I, conspiracy now theory. it's out there. Now yep. it's out there. All right, guys. Well, that's our thoughts on... I care a lot, and we do care about a lot about what you have to say. So let us know in the comments section down below on this you, smart, huh? <laughs> uh, YouTube video right now, and let us know. We'll, we'll meet you down there in the conversation because that's the almost sideways is the place for movie conversation. I, my name is Adam. And this is my co-host today, Zach Saltz. Zach, where can we find you on social media? I'm at under, uh, pro underscore Zach thirty six hashtag influencer. Just keep influencing out there, folks. You know, keep keep watching the good stuff, fighting the good fight. I'm Heck driving yeah. four hours tomorrow to buy some out of print Criterion, so that's that's the hashtag influencer life right now. Really excited to share my kind of thoughts on a, a film that is kind of a 2020 movie. It's kind of this gray area of 2020 with mixed with 2021. It's getting some awards consideration for a supporting actor in this film. And that is nine days directed by Edison or Edson Oda. Sorry, Winston Duke, Sazzy Beats, Bill Sarsgaard, uh, and Benedict Juan, among other people. Like also Tony Hale shows up in here as well. I'm uh, really excited to share my thoughts uh, briefly on the film but let me know what you guys think in the comments section down below about nine days this is a little smaller independent film that i've been really wanting to watch and before we get started i want to let you guys know we are also a podcast we are streaming on spotify stitcher pandora and apple Podcasts. so make sure you guys check the links in the show notes down below for all those podcast audio links as well Make sure you hit that subscribe button for more movie-related conversations like this. Well, Nine Days has Winston Duke front and center in this film. If, you, if that name sounds familiar, it should because he has started a bunch of Marvel movies like Black Panther. He was M'Baku, my personal favorite MCU hero. He, of course, he, that means he was in Avenge, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. He's also appeared in films like... Uh, Spencer Confidential, which was appeared on Netflix last year, and he also appeared in Jordan Peele's Us film as well. And he's going to appear in Black Panther 2 as well. But Nine Days is a film that he actually gets the starring role. He's the main 
character in this one. I think he is fantastic in this role. And he plays the character named Will, who has to do a bunch of different interviews over the course of, you guessed it, nine days to see which of the, the people that he's interviewing has the best possibility to be the best human being possible. So giving them kind of a life. If they pass his interviews, he, he, he gives them life in a sense. A really interesting premise, fascinating to say the least. Going into the movie, I didn't really want to know too much about it because I'm a big fan of Winston Duke from the things that he's been in. I just I think he's a fantastic actor. I want to see him get more opportunities to step out as the lead in these films because I think there's a lot of potential there, and he's just he's wonderful anyway. But in this film, he really brings kind of. Uh, a reservedness to his character, but you can feel there's a lot of background information. And you just want to peel those layers back and try to unravel and discover what actually happened to Will and why is he so kind of standoffish to these people he's interviewing. You slowly kind of learn through the runtime of the film that he actually was a human being at one point, but now he's kind of in this, let's say kind of gray area, not quite heaven, not quite hell area. Uh, and doing these interviews to see who gets life next. A very fascinating, you know, film, especially considering we had a movie from Pixar called Soul, which I couldn't help but draw similar comparisons to this area where people yeah, go and uh, the best version of that person goes out and has a body or gets born type of thing. Very, uh, I really enjoyed it, to say the least. I think the performances here, led by Winston Duke, were all fantastic. I think Duke, in particular, is the one that I want to know the most about and what what he's about. And the film does do a great job unraveling those. Other actors appear in here, Bill Skarsgård and Tony Hale. And um, the other people he's interviewing are interesting in seeing their reactions to different events uh, and different questions as he, as Winston Duke asks them and seeing what they will react and how they will handle things to, you know, in the long run, actually get you invested in the characters and wants to see you like, what are they going to say next? And as they slowly kind of the numbers kind of dwindle as they get closer to the, the end of the, the interview process, it, you know, you get kind of more and more invested and you see kind of Will's heart also kind of reach out to these characters as they slowly, you know, fall off in a sense. Sazzy Beats also is fantastic in this this film and you might know her as, you know, being Joker a couple of years ago as well as the Deadpool 2 sequel. She's fantastic in this one. I think she has a lot of the innocence in her. The curiosity really plays the thing and she's also a free spirit in this sense. And I think a lot of it has to um, do with that kind of every, you know, she's like the free spirit for sure. But I've, I saw a lot of comparisons like where she could be kind of Will in a sense when he was on on earth so creative and uh, unique in that that aspect and seeing the relationship between you know sassy beats with benedict Wan's character um of uh what's his name like uh, koi uh, koyo i uh, really enjoyed seeing those interactions there i think benedict Wan, however is an interesting thing because in film independent the spirit awards uh, he's the one that got nominated for best supporting actor i think it's kind of a fascinating um a category that he got up against for supporting actor. That's I didn't think that that would be the one thing that would have got a considered award consideration. 
I think that Bill Skarsgård was really excellent in here. And I, I liked the, all the performances. I don't think Benedict Guan is, you know, bad by any means. I just think it's kind of shocking that Winston Duke maybe didn't get a nomination and for the, for lead. Uh, Wong is really good. He provides little subtle moments of uh, uh, compellants. Um, and he makes he's gives you, like, the questions, and he asks a bunch of questions in the film to Will. And also, he has little small scenes of like humor. He has a little things, little lines where I chuckled. But overall, this is a very contemplative movie. You you kind of ask yourself questions: what's happening? You know, what not necessarily what's happening, but what would you do in these situations that are set up and proposed to these different interviewees? I I overall thought this was a very fascinating movie, and it could have very well been on my top ten films of 2020 if it was released then. However, I think the release date now is pushed back to summer 2021. I was very fortunate to watch a screener uh, because of, it was nominated for best supporting actor with Film Independent. Uh, being a member there, they were able to grant me access to a screener there. Really fortunate for them. Uh, but overall, Nine Days for me is a 3.5 film. I out of four stars. I. Thoroughly cannot wait. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie and I was compelled by the different responses. And I wanted to know more about what this world was set up as. It was very beautifully shot. I think the cinematography is fantastic. The sound, I didn't talk about that yet, but the sound and the score were all amazing in here. And it's definitely one of my favorite films of 2021. Yes, the year is still early, but this is currently my favorite film of the year. And I'm not necessarily sure I'm going to be voting for Benedict Wong for Best Supporting Actor this year, but I'm glad the movie is getting some recognition so that people can be able to watch it and look out for these certain performances. Winston Duke is such promising in this one as well. I think he should have got some award consideration. Who knows? Depending on how the Oscars shape up, this movie could have been considered for the 2021 or 20 slash 2022 Oscars. Well, only time will tell that I, the whole award season is completely crazy this year. But overall, really solid film that you guys should definitely check out. It is time that myself and special guests are going to be going after Jordan Peele's directorial debut, and that is Get Out. Without further ado, let's introduce my special guest, and that is Miss Emma from Spooky Astronauts. Emma, welcome to the channel. Hi, my name is Emma, also known as Spooky Astronauts here on YouTube. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. I'm really excited to talk about this movie with you. If you guys don't know about my channel, I do a lot of reviews. I also do interviews, deep dive interviews with actors, uh, directors, all that kind of cool stuff. I also break down scenes in horror movies. I just talk about horror movies, thrillers, anything disturbing. Love that. <laughs> all right, let's dig into this film of Get Out. It came out in February 24th, 2017, too much critical and audience praise. It is currently sitting at on Rotten Tomatoes at 98%, which is still a fantastic, it's a great rating for a critic's response for the film, considering Rotten Tomatoes is kind of hated, loved or hated at times for different movies, and having it sit out at 98 is fantastic. I do remember when this movie came out, everybody in my workplace was buzzing about this. They're like, Adam, go see this movie, go see it. Every single week that passed that I hadn't seen it, I think I saw it on week three when it came out, Every almost every other day, they're like, go see this movie, go see this movie. So eventually, they beat me down to go see this movie. Not necessarily, but I did go watch it, and I thought it was fantastic. Let's get into the plot synopsis. If you guys don't know the plot of the movie, we're going to talk about it a little bit here. It's about Chris 
played by Daniel Kaluuya and his girlfriend played by Allison Williams as they're at a point in their relationship where it's time to meet the girl's parents. And that's always an awkward stage if you have a, a girlfriend. It's always kind of weird and uh, you're always, as a guy, I'm always really nervous when that happens. At first, Chris thinks the over-accommodating nature of her parents is just to kind of cover up the the fact that their daughter is dating like in an interracial relationship. However, as the weekend progresses, he slowly uncovers some things that are very mysterious, to say the least. And kind of, a, it's a wild, crazy weekend, for sure. Now, Emma, as a fan of horror, how well was this film executed in that genre? And what was your overall experience coming out of the theater? Well, walking out of the cinema, I was blown away. And I kind of knew what I was getting myself into with this film. I'm a huge fan of undertones in horror movies. I think it's a great medium to talk about social issues. And I'm not just talking about new movies. There's a lot of old horror movies that also do this like Rosemary's Baby, Nine of the Living Dead, Candyman, films that discuss and dissect topics that are hard to talk about. Horror movies are such a good place for people to talk about the anxieties and fears of the real world and I think walking out of seeing Get Out I was just taken back by how well they conveyed their message within the storyline. The movie literally had it all. It had a great storyline, great acting, cinematography was amazing, um, the music and also lack of music. They had a lot of really just no music, no background, just plain silence where it needed to be and I think that that's the clever approach to sound design. And then also the ending and the twist. Under all of that they had the undertone message which was you know pretty blatant but I just can't believe how well crafted it was and how many details were put into the film. It was so well thought out and it's such a tight film if you go back and watch it. Every time you rewatch it, it just gets better because you realize that nothing is in there that shouldn't be and everything has a little meaning, a little message or like a little kind of Easter egg. I think this film was amazingly executed and I think Jordan Peele definitely opened up a lot of doors for horror movies and movies that people, executives, more thought that there wouldn't be a market for and now a lot of more people are being heard and it's just it's awesome now coming out of the theater for myself i was pretty frustrated by the movie i thought it was really made really well and everything you really want in a a well-crafted film was there. I think Jordan Peele did a fantastic job directing this movie. The shots were fantastic. The atmospheric tone was great. Great performances all around. However, the movie really made me frustrated. I hated how the parents were treating Daniel Kaluuya's character as also uh, just people in general. I get really frustrated by that stuff. And I really had a hard time properly explaining my feelings about the movie. And it had such an emotional impact on me. But however, the more I thought about it, I was like, okay... I do like the movie. I think it's good. I think it's a good some good talking points, and I think it's a very culturally significant film that we definitely needed. And Jordan Peele did a fantastic job with this movie. Now there is a lot of symbolism in this movie. Emma, can you explain some of the stuff that you caught in this film? Obviously, the symbolism is huge in this film, but there's just a couple of aspects I really want to talk about. One being the deer, which is kind of the overwhelming, carries the story, I would say. It's like the reoccurring theme. Um, at the start, they hit the deer. Um, Chris goes to attend to the deer, while Rose doesn't really care about the deer. The deer is the innocence, um, the deer in headlights, um, being caught off guard and not being cautious about your surroundings. Um, Chris attending to the deer is also a lot to do with his history and his history with his mother. And they really hint to uh, his girlfriend Rose and who she really is in that instance and you kind of just 
don't pick it up at the time. Later in the film, the dad talks about how he just wants all deers dead. Um, he thinks that they all should be wiped off, which again, <laughs> is another hint of what's to come. And then when Chris is tied to the chair, the deer returns, it's staring at him on the wall, this time it's mounted. As he is tied to the chair, I mean, could it get more symbolic than that? And then he actually uses the deer as a weapon later in the film. So it's him taking his power back and I love the whole symbolism and how it runs parallel to his story. I think it's very clever. And then there's obviously the color separation as a symbolism and I think a lot of people picked this one up. There's the really famous scene where she's sitting on the bed and she's got the Fruit Loops and the milk and they're separated and she's eating them separately. Jordan Peele actually debunked that that was meant to be separating colored from white, uh, which it seems so obvious that it would be, but it's meant to make her look a little bit more crazy and you know, just like a psychopath, which it does. So I mean, it could work both ways. Uh, but the biggest things are the vehicles. If you watch it for a second time or a third time, I'm sure you've already picked this one up, but uh, you might want to pay attention to the vehicles. At the start, it's the white people taking the black person and they use a white car. And then later in the film, you see the black cars and they are all carrying white people, which is the black vessel for the white people. You know what I mean? It seems so obvious when you know these things, but re-watching it, every single detail is just amazing. The last thing I really want to talk about quickly is the connection between this film and the 1975 original version of Stepford Wives. Uh, I don't know if you guys have made this parallel, but both main characters are photographers in Get Out and Stepford Wives, um, and they both are kind of betrayed by their loved ones, and their body is meant to be used as a vessel. I think it's really interesting that it's both like a sexist and a racist kind of remark on society and if you watch Stepford Wives and you watch Get Out you really see the similarities. I think it's very clever. Overall guys this movie did make my top 10 list in 2017. I really do applaud Jordan Peele's direction in this movie again and also he is one of 19 people ever to be nominated for Best Directing Oscar in his directorial debut. So that's a feat among itself. And if you dig deeper in the directing nomination sets, at the time this movie came out in Jordan Peele's nomination, only five African-American directors were even nominated for Best uh, Direction in the film. However, it's now six with Spike Lee, Black Klansman film. So Jordan Peele definitely kind of, kind of, broke ground a lot and became a historic director now and it gets a lot of people excited for us and it's really crazy to see like this the stuff that this comedic actor really did and he broke out in horror and directing he has a lot of cool stories to tell it's pretty fascinating to see his journey from acting to direct also this film did take home the best original screenplay oscar at that year's academy awards what a feat i thought the screenplay was fantastic and if you haven't seen this movie by whatever uh, form of the imagination, you definitely should go check it out because it's worth seeing. It's going to be one of those movies that's going to be talked about for a long time. Heck, I even got a Get Out poster right up there. It's a very uh, powerful, impactful film of the uh, 2010s. Now, Emma, what is your overall take on the film Get Out? Obviously, I love this film and audiences also loved it. After its release, Get Out remained in the US box office top 10 for two months straight. As I said before, this isn't a film that you want to watch just once. It has so many Easter eggs and so many secret meanings and you'll just just want to pick it apart so I recommend if you haven't seen it for a second time definitely do that this whole film is about the conscious and unconscious traits of racism within our society and it tackles the subject so well
well and it makes people feel so uncomfortable, which makes me think that Jordan Peele definitely did his job and I can't wait to see us. In closing, guys, we really liked this movie. Make sure you guys check out Get Out before you go see us this weekend. Let's wrap it up. Emma, thank you so much for being a part of this review with me. It was such an honor having you on the channel and talking Get Out with. Emma, where can we find you on YouTube and social media? Thank you so much for having me. If you guys would like to check out more of my stuff, I'm Spooky Astronauts here on YouTube, also on Instagram, and I do a lot of recommendations of horror movies. So if you're looking for something to watch and you don't want it to be spoiled, I have options for you. I have so many options for you. So check out my channel. The link will be down below and I'll see you there. All of Emma's links are down in the description box down below. Make sure you head over there and say that Adam sent you from ADL. She would be appreciative and I'm appreciative to have her as well. So. Hey everybody, welcome back to Almost Sideways, a place for movie conversation. My name is Adam, and I have a very fun conversation today because I have a, a guest here, and we're going to have a sit-down conversation and telling their film journey and how they get started loving movies and becoming involved in like Twitter, and the film Twitter, and also writing their uh, film thoughts and also YouTube and stuff. So a bunch of good fun conversation and today's special guest is Amanda of Candid Cinema. Amanda, how are you today? Hey Adam, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Before we get started, tell the people at home where we can find you on YouTube, social media and all that fun stuff. Yeah, so you guys can find me at AMX NDA Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You guys can go check out my website, which is CandidXCinema.com, and you can check me out on YouTube over at Candid Cinema. So all those links will be in the show notes down below. Uh, so I, And so make sure you check it out and subscribe and follow, because there's a lot of awesome content that she posts quite frequently throughout the day. So definitely check it out. Uh, so I guess the first kind of a question, you're really – into like the social media and stuff like that as well and i see you post constantly and i'm kind of jealous about that because i'm like I i'm here at work i want to post more stuff about my the things that i love to but yeah that's i guess the big question is how did you really get started in like this is where my career is going to go was there a moment was there like a movie that kind of sparked you maybe or was this kind of like your path that you knew that you were going to head to growing up um so <laughs> it's it's a long one actually ever since yeah. i kid um my dad is a huge huge film buff um we have like an extensive vhs and uh dvd collection that he started so it was all him kind of showing me the ropes like i was watching goodfellas at the age of five and i had to have good parent, parenting done right yeah exactly and i had to have <laughs> other parts too like memorized by the age of 10 i'm kidding not memorized but still um but i was in an italian household so like de niro scorsese pacino dicaprio like those were like household names for like for my family. Um, so it was always uh, mob films that I grew up watching and uh, then they just kind of branched out that way. But yeah. I was actually a theater kid um, yeah. for the first half of my life. I'm 25 and I'm like, oh, I've been living for like years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was a theater kid for about like eight years. I did musical theater. So I thought the stage was where I wanted to be. Um, I, I loved acting. I was such a ham growing up. Um, but then I, uh, I went back to my roots, which is film. And the one movie that really made me want to learn about everything behind the scenes and write about 
everyone um, in the process because it is a collaborative effort was actually the aviator. Um, it was the first, yes. Yeah, so whenever I say the aviator, everyone's like, what are you like? Why would it be the aviator? But I think I was like 10 or 11 when that came out and my dad bought the special uh, edition DVD and it was a two disc special edition. So yeah. they had um, behind the scenes and then B-roll footage of, of Marty um, just having conversations with everyone. And there was a sit down interview with him as well. So it was the first time that I actually like wanted to watch the special features and go through it. Um, and then hearing him talk about what he was doing. Like I remember um, the camera shots that he had with the lights and the bulbs, yeah. like the aviator. And he talked about that. I'm like, whoa, like I wouldn't have known that. Like that's so cool. That's so like detailed. And then that's when I kind of fell in love with wanting to um, analyze things and write it. So well, thanks. Nice. Yeah. It was yeah, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny how those like such a random that's to be honest that's kind of it is a random movie it's not one of like his it is a big oscar nominated movie of course but it's it is not the one that you really think of when you think of scorsese uh i think i had that a similar moment to you i was sick uh in junior high school time and you know I, I liked movies but i was more into sports and doing other things and they got mm -hmm. sick and all i could do is sit on my my, my bedroom and just watched movies and I watched the special features of Apollo 13 and then I watched the uh, then uh, Empire Strikes Back which I did not like too much growing up until I was sick and that really became my big uh, push into like that's one of my favorite movies of all time because of that so it's kind of funny how some movies when you just dive into those special features of movies can really kind of spark an interest in you yeah. uh, before we get too far I want to go back to your what your you said you about your father uh, where other than these mob movies, was there anything else that like, kind of random movie that he really loved that really kind of like, I really like that movie too. Yeah. My, my dad's actually like a softy. He loves the <laughs> MGM musicals. Yeah. He loves the MGM musicals. Um, things that I can kind of remember growing up was like watching Errol Flynn. Like he, he loved mm. his stuff. He loved his Robin hood. Um, so I grew up with that. I grew up with Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly's one of my favorite yeah favorite performers and you have to call him a performer he's not just an actor he's, just he's not an actor yeah yeah he's brilliant so the mgm musicals for like that is what i used to watch as a kid so he really loves that stuff my dad will watch anything which is weird because we have dvds that we shouldn't really have and um he, he'll watch everything but he passed that down to me so i um i'm kind of like living his dream because he used to he used to edit by hand like the old editing um, wow. like kind of, he had that he loved filming and all that but he just it, it was like unheard of to go to film school i guess at like when he should have gone to university oh, yeah. in that way um so because he passed that down to me i'm just like oh my god i'm on the other side not actually like <laughs> directing anything um but yeah it's all because of him really is no, that's that's awesome. It's kind of cool how our parents can spark things into us and kind of pass down certain things. One of my dad, one of my dad's favorite movies was The Princess Bride, and uh, that's so that's one of like uh, this year I think for his his birthday month and because uh, um, he recently passed away. So I was like, I, my big my I'm gonna put a big heart and soul into my like The Princess Bride like review and series like that because that's all be for him too so it's just kind of cool how our parents can pass things down and our love for certain movies or experiences and it, it's awesome I'm glad you were able to have a like a dad who was able to pass a love and a passion to you down yeah. 
I'm, I'm uh, so happy you were able to honor like your father as well. That's so, that's beautiful. That's really amazing. Yeah, yeah it's it, it's it's kind of crazy. Like you know, when you grow up, you you want to like get out and be like your own person, and that's when how I was in like high school too. But you're like you still also hold on to them, and at the same time, you're like this yeah. this big world, big uh, scary world out here. Uh, I appreciate you so much more than I actually thought I did. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like I kind of need you a little more than I thought. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you're going into, uh, you know, pa having this love of movies passed down to you. Have you found that maybe your your taste in films is kind of branching off and kind of going off in different things? Or you pretty much stay true to the same kind of films that your family has loved? Um, I, I branched out because I, I feel like I needed to. And it's it's it has to be it's all up all because of Marty, because yeah. um, I've looked at his film list and what he recommended. Um, and he's always like, you have to like broaden your reach. And I've always respected him for that yeah. because he's also like, one of my favorite quotes from him was that, um, not really a quote, I'm paraphrasing from a book that I've read actually, is that you have to watch films from the past in order to understand what we, like where we are now. Oh yeah, yeah. People don't watch the older films or say like oh i hate black and white movies it's like but where where do you think we got what we, like what we have now you know what i mean so like that that's what bothers me and i remember like one year specifically i'm like you know what i'm gonna watch all the best picture winners i tried my best to watch them all like like the early ones so i'm talking about like cimarron grand hotel broadway melody like early stuff yeah i tried to find those and like i remember watching grand hotel and i loved it i thought it was such a great film i it really just took me back because I, I like films that are dialogue heavy yeah like that was one of them it has such a great script such a great cast but i do broaden my reach like even in regards to like foreign language films um animated films like i try my best to watch as much as i can because that's how we learn and then that's yeah. how like your writing also gets better and how you can compare it to different things and what you like and what you don't like. But I always go back to my mob films. I have to, I have yeah. to. <laughs> I think th that was kind of one of the first things like we, we um, I think we've been communicating over the last couple months a lot. And I think, uh, thanks to kind of knowing like Leo of the Geekly Goods and kind of uh, Dwayne and stuff like that and all these like guys we all follow and so we're kind of following each other too. And we made a connection that you and I, one of our favorite films of all time is The Departed. Yeah, that. and it's just like that. That's so cool because that that's yeah. been my favorite, one of my favorite films of all time for the longest time. It's just I wish I would have seen that on the in theaters, and hopefully one day we'd be able to see that too. Yeah. Is there a specific mob movie other than like The Departed or anything that has like that's not, and it's not directed by Scorsese that you've also kind of really liked? Made it super wow. <laughs> made it tricky. That's so hard. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Everyone talks about The Godfather, like the first one. And mm -hmm. although it is a fantastic film, it's really great. Cinematography is amazing. That's the first thing that we learned um, in film school. We had a lecture about um, cinematography and we literally did an entire like in-depth analysis of what happened in The Godfather and how the tones were different and the coloring and, and all of that. And But although that it's fascinating to study and that everyone loves it, Godfather part two is slightly better. Um, and that is the one where I will watch it over and over and over again because my soft spot is De Niro. <clears throat> and uh, everyone's like, oh, Pacino's this, Pacino's that. I'm like, yeah, Pacino's great, don't get me wrong. 
but like, I don't know what it is about De Niro. He just sells it in a different way. And Godfather part two is just such a fantastic film. And if I can watch the Godfather trilogy in chronological order, I try doing that uh, best to my ability. Cause AMC actually has a mob week marathon and they've done it in chronological order. So I'll just stay up for like De Niro's part and then I'll go to bed, but still. <laughs> so, <laughs> there we go, perfect. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, that's good. Um, uh, I'll put, I'll share this, but I have never finished the Godfather trilogy yet. I've only I seen know. the first one. So oh. my goal, I'm, I started a new thing like once a month, watching movies that I had in like big movies that have, are glaring omissions called my first time watches. And the Godfather part two is going to be one of them. And, and Godfather part three, I think those are just essential movies yeah. to watch. Uh, and I, just one of those things that I've watched the first one and it's just, uh, it's a slower paced film compared to now. So it's getting a little harder time to find time with family and, you know, to watch a longer slower paced film and without interruptions <laughs> so I'll, I'll, i'm gonna make it happen though this year though that's awesome to, to hear yeah. uh when you decided to go to film school was that something that you know you gave any thought or do you know exactly what you wanted to study at at school um so when i was in my last year of high school uh mm -hmm. we had an entire film course that we were able to take and I was still, I went to a specialized program in high school where um, it was a theater program. Oh, so okay. I did theater when I was in high school. And then our last year we, we were able to study film and I'll never forget this. It was Ben Affleck's Oscar season for Argo. Argo, yeah. And we had to write a review for Argo. So that's technically my first official review was for Argo for Ben Affleck for uh, an assignment in class. And I remember um, he was doing a red carpet and they were giving facts about him and he, they said that he got his PhD in cinema and media studies. And I was like, Whoa, that sounds some, like something that I can do. Cause I was never like, I'm not that strong of a writer. Like I'm learning every day and like screenwriting yeah. is a bit too difficult for me to do. And then, um, I was like, I wasn't that keen on production. So I'm like, I was trying to figure out like, what could I get into? And then hearing that Ben Affleck got his PhD in cinema and media studies, I was like, that's something that I could definitely do. And then that's how I applied for the program and the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah. Thank you, Ben Affleck and Argo. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. So yeah. do you remember anything that you wrote or specifically said about the film from your first review? I actually didn't like it. I well, didn't like Argo. <laughs> I felt so bad. I was like, oh no, Ben, like don't kill me. But I, I didn't like the review. Like I didn't, sorry, I didn't like the film. So it was really mm -hmm. hard for me to write a review on it. Um, I loved it was always him. the hardest. Yeah, exactly. I loved his direction and I, I praised what he did with it, but I just didn't vibe with the film, but mm -hmm. uh, they are so difficult to write. I don't yeah. know what it is. It's so hard, but yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah, I find it it's a lot harder to talk about a movie or write about a movie once if you didn't really care about it. Cause like, why are you going to have space in your head to, yeah. and processing and time to put out something you're not really going to be happy with anyway yeah. kind of, have you rewatched it have you appreciated it more over time or it's just kind of one of those movies like nah it's just i i like people i understand why people like it but it's not just yeah. not for me um i think i rewatched it uh because he was directing live by night and again yeah. that was a mob film so i read the book too which the book was fantastic um but the film kind of just got lost in post-production. All the yeah. drama 
Warner Brothers, I don't have to get into it. But I wanted to kind of marathon the films that he directed. So that was my opportunity to watch Argo again. Yeah. Um, and then I understood why everyone enjoyed it, like you said, but it's not for me. And I, I feel like when we have that kind of discussion on social media, especially when you don't like a film, um, the best thing to say is that when you're writing a negative uh, review is like, I understood what they were trying to do. I appreciate it. I respect the filmmaking process, but like, just wasn't for me. I just, I can't do it. <laughs> you have to give a bunch of parameters. Like, I really respect you being here on this interview, but I gotta let you go now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. yeah, it's social media is so weird that way because it's like, it's a place where you could share your opinion, and everybody loves that about it. Yeah, but don't you disagree with mine, or I want to let you know about it. You know. Exactly. And there's no place for like a good conversation anymore. This is like it's like the art of conversation, or art of debate, or art of you know friendly debate is like kind of completely dead now. It seems like and it's so frustrating because it's you can have completely polar opposite opinions on something, but there's a good conversation to be had that maybe you could sway me from to maybe to liking it or even maybe disliking the film more than I did too. And it's just I, I, people just like to type in caps lock and yell at you or troll, you know, that seems yeah. like how where it's going. It's kind of frustrating. Have you yeah. found, I, I know the answer to this question, but have you found that to be the case for you? Um, I used to fight back in the day cause I've been on Twitter, <laughs> I've been on Twitter for I think 12 years now, since it started, mm -hmm. I, uh, I know a lot of, about the algorithms and like ins and outs, hashtags, all that I've adapted throughout the years, but, um, for a good portion of like the early MCU, movies like phase one phase two i fought oh my god there was so much fighting um even for television shows award season is literally a bloodbath when you like something and someone else doesn't yep. um but i find that like after so many years of being on social media it's better to just talk about the things you love because once you get into like the negative negative side of it you're not that like followers are important it's just the fact that you want you don't want to disrespect anyone with what you're saying um mm -hmm. like i i did this i think last year or two years ago when jennifer lopez did her oscar campaign for hustlers um i didn't think she should have gone to get an Oscar nomination, but everyone was like campaigning for her. So I would use asterisks yeah. <laughs> to like put her name in. I'm like J Lo, like three asterisks. Um, but people still obviously figured it out. Um, so I've learned to just not say anything negative anymore. Um, on social media and if i like i have to speak out i will but there's no point in starting arguments i'd rather just have a respectful conversation with someone yeah it seems like it's just gonna be like a toilet a toilet bowl it's just gonna keep going around and around and it's just like no point of it and it's like it's so frustrating man yeah that's why I like when i like see stuff that's brewing on it because i see it in everybody's feeds and it's like yeah, I'm glad I don't have the time to be on here as much as, <laughs> as yeah. like I want to be on there, be posting more, and like I'm so close to like certain like my milestones on it too, and try and I'm also trying to grow our like our YouTube slash you know podcast yeah. Twitter, and it's it's a lot harder than yeah. really hard to grow social media stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, you know, I've, like I've had a couple YouTube channels where I was able to grow things, but man, some things are just so hard and. But so learning all those different things is 
tough. So it's just like it. Anyway, <laughs> that's a different thing. <laughs> no, let's, go back to the, let's go back to the positive. Let's go back to talking about that. Uh, yeah. So we had another guest on one time, and I don't. You probably do know her, a Kristen Maldonado. Uh, yeah, yeah. she was on and I interviewed her and she said she was also into theater as well. And she uh, mentioned a couple of plays that she was on. Like uh, what kind of plays do you remember being in? And was there anything like that you played maybe a, that was based off of, or a movie was, I don't know. I, I, go ahead. <laughs> I guess let you answer the first one. No, I, get, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. So I was actually, my first starring role, my leading role um, was Tracy Turnblad in Hairspray. Um, oh, I spray so much growing up um she really spoke to me as a character and i looked up to yeah. her she's amazing um and then the whole story of hairspray is kind of inspirational yeah it's really good together, yeah together unifies everyone it's very campy but we love that stuff um but in theater i would actually always go for the male roles because um they had not that i want to say that they had the better dialogue. I don't want to say that they were the better characters, but if you're doing like Beauty and the Beast or Mamma Mia, like West Side Story, like the male characters are also really strong in those yeah. um, films or, or plays. So I was like the dad, one of the dads in Mamma Mia. I was I was uh, Riff, yeah, in West Side Story. Hmm. Um, and then I was uh, Cogworth in Beauty and oh. the Beast. So oh, okay. those, those were fun for me. Yeah, it was it was good. It was a really, really great time. And I just wish that I could go back on stage again, but I'm kind of scared. I can't do it anymore, which is really weird. That is that is kind of well, I don't know. I I I've been I did a couple little little smaller plays, but it's like, yeah, I, I get too nervous. I would never be able to do that either. <laughs> but it's well, tough, man. Like, yeah, it's tough. Uh so was it kind of hard to like like, was there like a, a desire to go back on? I know you say it's hard, but was, did you just kind of stop all the like, cold turkey or did you kind of like, would like to audition or anything like afterward after out of high school or anything? Yeah. So I actually took theater courses in university as well because they offered that. Um, and I, I don't know why, but I would get 10 times more nervous in university mm. than I did in high school to memorize the lines and everything. So it just, there was such a huge shift from high school to university. Um, and then that's when I knew that going into film was the right decision for me uh, because of that. Like I, I had stage fright after a while, which was so, I just, I, I, I don't know what happened to me. I have no idea, but um, I'm a completely different person from high school to university and to now. So, well, yeah. Well, yeah, like that's a, that's kind of a bummer, but I guess in a way that it, brought you back into kind of like it goes, goes for full circle back yeah. into film where now that's kind of what you're doing as for a career too, after, you know, school, what kind of, how, like, you know, this is a weird thing. I know a lot of people have their jobs where they're all they, that's what they do for a living. How was that? How's that transition and what kind of stuff are you doing like on a daily basis to, you know, to as your your job if that makes sense <laughs> yeah as i try to well, i've been like i also went to college for journalism so mm. i spent six years in school oh nice um, okay but, yeah so i did four for uh film and then two for journalism and uh now i'm an editor over at geek bomb um, oh, nice. okay. yeah, which is awesome and i'm doing i'm also like acting as editor and social media manager uh for them but um yeah, just every single day, it's the fact that 
we have to build our own brand and build our own portfolio in this business. Okay. And that's kind of what I'm doing for myself. And like, I consider that as a part of my work, uh, mm -hmm. getting like screeners and, and trying to uh, write my reviews earlier and, and just building a website where people will like trust my opinion and trust that I'm like, I'm gonna be honest with you and like give you a balanced review. And like, that's all I've ever wanted. Yeah. Um, so I'm working like two different sides of this. Like I actually have like my, my full-time uh, job right now, but I'm also using that to hone my skills and how to develop my brand in this. Oh, that's that's awesome. That's a, uh, when you got the full-time editor position, what did you, I know, did you intern with them first or you just kind of like went into it and got hired through them or? for Geek Bomb or anything. I'm not sure how that process is. Yeah, so with them, um, I did like a quick interview and uh, she read, I had to send over a couple of samples of mm -hmm. my work um, and my website. And thankfully when I did make my website, it was in my second year of college. So I was able to um, write more reviews and I kind of went ham. So I have that to show like as a portfolio. Mm -hmm. We had a discussion. Um, we really like vibe with each other. She's absolutely fantastic. Awesome. Um, boss Maud Garrett, she's awesome. And uh, she hired me and uh, yeah, now I'm working with her. And it was a really quick process, more of like, it's because I have my website and my portfolio, it's kind of like you you, you know where you're gonna get kind of with my writing yeah. and what I can do. So yeah, it was it was awesome. She's great and it went really well. That's, all, that's, that's pretty awesome. It, now that you're doing like writing like full time and like doing reviews and screeners and stuff, have has you have you realized that you've been maybe a little bit more critical on some movies too? And have you noticed maybe like some of the movies that you really loved growing up that you're like maybe don't like as much because you're seeing it through a different lens now? It it's so frustrating. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Like I I absolutely adore Back to the Future. I love it so oh, much. Careful. Careful. I, I'm sorry, but like I love it. Don't get me wrong. Like I, every time it's on television, I'll watch it. But if you really look at the story and there's continuity errors, the editing's like if you like, I don't want to get into it. But I'm just saying that Back to the Future is like littered with issues. But I love it, and I can't be critical of it. But I understand that there's flaws in that case. That makes sense. Okay, I'll I'll I'll, I'll let this one slide. I'll let this one slide. Sorry. I was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's cool though. It, it's that's one thing I was always curious about too, because it's something that I really love talking about movies. But I'm not, you know, I'm not going. I'm just going as like a maybe a, a, a fan perspective and just a guy who does it on a casual uh, reviews and stuff like that. And I've always wondered if you're you'd be a little more harshal or you're trying to like get out the best thing, especially on newer movies. Like how is that process too? And especially when you have to put out your, you see your screener and you put out your review shortly after that, like how, how are you pretty much know what you're looking at? You can catch things that you don't like and right away. Yeah. Oh yeah. After watching like, because they had to train us too, mm -hmm. we, were, we had to look for basically in school. And then um, I practiced myself at home to kind of see, well, like that shot was good or the lighting here. Like I practiced like my eye. There's a different eye that I think that critics have than filmmakers have. Because filmmakers, when they, when they shoot something, it's with what they want you to see. Versus when you're, criti when you're critical of something, there's like, 
there's obviously a criteria, there's guidelines technically that you make on yourself. It's not like it's written down. Like it's what you yeah. have in your own mind of what is good and what is bad. Because again, it's subjective. So you can't, everyone has their own list of things that we, you, like you and I, we may differ on, like on uh, different aspects of films as well. But I always try to give a balanced review, even if I don't like the film, I will literally yeah. straight up tell you, this is what's good, this is what's bad, add some fancy words and make it sound nice. And that's pretty much how I uh, go, how I write and how I uh, look at my films in that case. Oh, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that's uh, different. What, what's some of the things that you really do look for and what things do you like specifically that directors or filmmakers do in their movies? Like that's like, if they do that, that's like the cherry on top type of thing. Yeah, I, for me, it's the script. I, I really need a strong script, even if it's for an action movie or a comedy, it needs to be like well-written. Um, Cause like action scenes, like the direction I don't pay attention to unless something, I, that sounds so bad, but unless something like sticks out, like I can, like, I feel like direction and editing go hand in hand as well. Like mm -hmm. how you want to build the story. So I can kind of tell when it's off now. Oh, wait, that makes Okay. So it's just like, why would they, why would you frame it this way? Or like, why would you cut there? And like, why are there so many cuts in Bohemian Rhapsody when they were talking at that freaking lunch scene? Like you can tell that those cuts were there, right? So it's like, yeah. you can just catch it now, even when watching like television shows and sitcoms, like I've, like I've, I've watched them and I can catch when they're cutting now. Yeah. That way, so I think everyone does like at this point, but like once you watch it repeatedly in films as well, like you can catch it. But for me, it's a strong script. And if the performances can elevate those words, then that's the most important thing for me. And then everything else kind of like follows through. Yeah, strong scripts, uh, like engaging dialogue. That's definitely kind of sucks. Get you, not sucks you in, but well, I guess it does. That it does suck you in, and get you yeah. to care about these characters. Yeah, I, I really like some talking movies as well. And I think that my wife always says when uh, we're watching movies, we always show her the trailer first, and she's like, "Yeah, that looks like a boring movie. That's like that's more of you." And usually, I'm like, "That's the movies I like." <laughs> it's like when I get invested in the character, and she's like. Ah, just let's watch a comedy or an action movie, and she's yeah. perfectly fine. So <laughs> it's funny. It just it's two, the two yeah. different perspectives. That's one reason why I haven't watched like The Godfather too. It's because I'm like I can't watch that. Yeah, it's like that's just too slow for her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, that that's pretty awesome. The the eye that you're looking for. Are there some like your favorite screenwriters? If there's like a movie that's written by this screenwriter, like that's usually like you really love their work. Is there anything like that? Screenwriters like that? Um, you have to mention Sorkin, Aaron mm -hmm. Sorkin, when you're talking about screenwriting. Um, I actually love Molly's Game. No one really talks about Molly's Game because everyone's like, oh my God, social network, yay, all that. And I'm like, it's a great movie. That's actually one of like my, pro I'm, like, where I find problematic. I didn't really like the social network. But mind you, I was like, <laughs> I was young when I watched it. So I may have to revisit it. Um, I was young. So I have to, yeah, I definitely have to go back. But um, Aaron Sorkin really just, it's fresh and it's quick. And there's so much that he puts into his scripts. Um, mm -hmm. And his dialogue is so rich. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It depends on the film. It also depends on the direction. Um, yeah. 
but I feel like when he directed Molly's game, I was like, this like people didn't really like his direction for it, but I was like, you know what? This is pretty good. I enjoyed it. I thought Jessica Chastain was great and Idris Elba yeah. was great, but the script for Molly's game just like blew my mind. I really enjoyed that one a lot. How are we're talking about Sorkin here compared yeah. to like he just did the trial of the Chicago seven and I, I, and I enjoyed that movie. I think it's, it's very free and <laughs> loose with this, some of the aspects here, but I think he did a really good job with like that. But do you think that Molly's game and trial of Chicago seven on the same field or is one superior, far superior than the other one? See, when I watched trial of the Chicago seven, I was hyped. I was like, this cast is awesome. And the story's yep. great. But like all that. And I was, I gave it like, four and a half out of five stars and all that. And then you really sit and you look at it and you're like, was it four and a half out of five stars? Like, should yeah. I have been at that? Um, but I do think that Molly's game script and direction was miles better than what he did in Trial of the Chicago 7 because it could have been like a different way to tell that story, a better way to tell that story. I respect the script. I respect the actors because they were fantastic. Like Sasha yeah. Baron Cohen deserves the recognition hundred percent. But um, yeah, then you get into comparing, which is something that I never do. I, oh. I try to not do in any of, no, I'm just saying like in my written reviews, I try not to do it because yeah. I've noticed that a lot of people are like, if you like this and you like this, you'll like this movie. And it's like, but you're already giving them like, um, like a criteria. Yeah, you're giving them what it's going to be like, and then maybe it's not like that, and you're trying to, you know what I mean? Like, that's something that I try to avoid. But, like, teach their own. Everyone everyone does that in their own way, so I respect it. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah, the uh, one movie that I watched of his for the first time was The American President, that one of the earlier ones that he wrote. And I, I was like, wow, this is really good, and it actually still holds up. Being in 90s, one of his earlier works of writing and i'm sure if you're familiar with that film or not but it was really cool just to see like how see his pro 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 progress over the years and yeah. see all these different movies i really love the social network too it's one of my favorite films of the last decade and uh, <laughs> i think it just something about his writing is just so quick and like you like some stuff you don't even catch right away after he says it so the characters say it so i think there's something definitely about sorkin's movies that just kind of pop off like his words like kind of pop off the screen with the yeah. characters, which is a very unique thing for a screenwriter to deliver. And when they're basically the move, you're watching something, but the word you're listening to what you're listening to is more important. I guess that, that makes sense. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I agree. Uh, uh, so on your parameters of like strong screenplays, is there a film that absolutely got completely like destroyed by the critics or online or the film community, but you're like, you guys are sleeping on this film. This actually is a really awesome film. Like, is there something like that, like a really true underdog movie that, like, in your head, that that's actually way better than actually people are giving it credit for? Oh my god! So many of those, but you know, there probably is. But that's such a loaded question. Um, Be careful! Don't angry and anger anybody. <laughs> I try not to. I'm respectful of everyone's opinions. Trust me. I, I value having respectful conversations, especially like this is my this is my question, guys. We got the we, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with a film that I'm pretty sure no one watched, and they should have. So I'm all for original content, original screenplays, and I don't know if you remember a film called Serenity with Matthew oh. McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, but. Yeah. 
I went to go watch it in theaters because everyone was like, there's no original content. There's this, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you're not supporting it when it's out in theaters. So that's on exactly. you. If you're not going to go pay for it and go watch it. Right. So I went to go watch it. I thought it was great. I had such a good time watching that. It's like a, a neo-noir film, but the story was so heartfelt and meaningful that I actually cried at the end of the film. I'm not oh, going to ruin it. I won't, I won't ruin it, but like I literally cried at the end of it and it was just so well, I thought it was great. I thought it was such a well-written, uh, there were issues. Every film has issues. No film is perfect. I get that. But it just got dragged by the credits. Like, yeah, it did. Dragged. And I'm like, but this is original content that we need to support. It's not going to be perfect, but like this is promising. And the the casting was great. They were so great together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I remember that that big the Serenity phase. People were like, this is a ridiculously crazy movie. This is this is this work. And but there's like a silent, you know, minority of people are like. No, it's actually like this is crazy, like trippy, like the tw I know. I, I unfortunately I do know that kind of like twist that happens in it, uh, but the it's crazy to see like the people saying that there's no original content. The world's just remakes and sequels, but there's actually there's tons of films if you just look or give films a chance. There's a lot out there for people to uh, to digest that are is brand new. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, yeah, you can always find yeah. something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we've talked about a lot of your writing and such, but you've also branched out into podcasting and YouTube as well. Uh, let's talk about the uh, YouTube channel. It's Candid Cinema, and that was kind of my uh, hidden message. If you guys knew what who what uh, my little post was about who I've had on my uh, interview up next, we're gonna get Candid with Cinema. Uh, that that was you. So uh, how did they come up with the name, and how uh, are you enjoying the YouTube space? And are you finding it? kind of challenging at times oh my god it's so intimidating like i see that you guys have like a fantastic show and like everyone has such great content and i'm just like a little person like coming in like i'm trying to like keep up with everyone it's so intimidating because like you're just like looking at everyone like making videos 24 7 and creating amazing content and you're just sitting there like I need to do better. Like <laughs> also like the time and like editing and yeah. trying to, like get good thumbnails. It's so much to get into. But mm -hmm. um, the, the way I came up with Candid Cinema was I actually had an old Tumblr account when I was like 11 or 12. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. And like I named it the Honest Film Critic. And no one knew about it except for me, but I would write my reviews, horrible reviews. They're horrible reviews. I deleted everything off that thing. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, I couldn't find it. Um, so I deleted everything and um, I was playing around with words, but I wanted people to know that I was going to be honest with my, my criticism. So I used like different synonyms and stuff like that. I'm like, what would sound cool? And I'm like, can cinema. So I was like, that's awesome. Like it's another yeah for like being honest, um, being like real, right? So um, that's why I named it Canon Cinema and I just rolled with it. I have like different podcasts that I dabble into, but I have to give it up to Leo over at Geekly Goods. Yeah. Because he is the one that pulled me out of my shell. If it weren't for him, I would not be on YouTube. I would not be showing my face at all because I am a writer at heart. So I'm just blessed that he pulled me out of it. My first YouTube appearance was on Geekly Goods with him. 
Um, so I like huge shout out to Geekly Goods. Like, thank you so much, Leo, for everything that you've done <laughs> and pulled me out of my shell. That guy has so much energy and just like, yeah. you just can't help but get out your shell at the same time. Like we had him, obviously that's a couple, like last month we did the, the Marvel, the superhero tournament and we have a tournament coming up, star Wars character tournament that he's going to be a part of too. And yeah. it's just so, I'm just like so excited. And eventually I'll, I've all, I'm going to branch out and reach out to him for an interview too. And yeah. uh, he's just, he's like awesome, but that's oh, one second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyway, the that's that's awesome. I love. I wish you didn't delete stuff, but that. But I, I did the same thing with my earlier YouTube videos. I deleted it. It was just like basically me with my my phone just talking, and it's like moving around and like in front of my face, and it's just so bad, out of focus stuff. And I was just like posting every once in a while, and now like this is like technically the third time channel that I've had. Uh, mm -hmm. all doing kind of different things this is more of the things where i'm actually bringing in the po our podcast more of a podcast feature type of thing and right. it's nice because you know we have the the main show the movie podcast with zach terry and todd and they're using the same same kind of program i'm be able to edit the clips a lot faster just put it out and make a little segment segmented clip shows so yeah. it's like it seems like i'm doing a lot but i can actually just break it up really quick instead of like one day of editing i can just do like three different videos and just post them on three different days I'm like oh there's content for the week <laughs> <laughs> you like you're killing it just doing that right and you're promoting your brand and everything and it's working out it's it's tough man like it's because you know we, they've been we've been they've been doing the podcast segment for almost three years and you know we have a little bit of a falling but it's it's it, it's we wanted to branch out a little bit more but so it's still a you know it's still a working process process we're still growing which is awesome and i think that's all the thing we can do is that like can like work with other people awesome people like yourself and like leo and just awesome creators and it doesn't matter how big you are if you love talking about movies and there's a good conversation to be had people are gonna you know talk to you about it and that's what we really really like him to do and you know like our our name is almost uh sideways and uh, that's we did, basically the story goes before i was uh part of the group they just combined two movies together almost famous and sideways I and that's it. how we came up with the name so yeah it's just like it's fun it's how it's kind of like that's the origin of our, our name but at the anyway podcasting you've branched out and on also podcasting yourself uh yeah. you're you just actually just got done recording a podcast what kind of podcasts are you uh, featured on so that we can also take a listen to them yeah so i'm on the cinemania world podcast um i join from time to time i'm not always on it but mm -hmm. it's whenever we want to have like group discussions they have a whole schedule of uh, different things that they do they'll talk about superheroes yeah they work a lot they work hard over there they do Dwayne's like next level and I'm, it's like such an honor being with that team they're hilarious and uh we're always like uh making fun of each other and joking around but we it what I love is that the communities that I'm a part of yeah everyone is so so respectful and then you just have that positive energy which helps all the time there there have been times on social media on like podcasts and stuff like that where there has been negative energy and that really brings everything down yeah yeah so everyone that like everything that i'm a part of i'm also a music city drive-in uh podcast yeah. as well um and i work with them and everyone's great yeah so like they're they're all cool um i did have my own canon cinema podcast i did um but again like I don't know why I always like return to writing. I always go back there because it's so hard to do cross platform. Yeah. 
on everything. Like it's really difficult. So yeah, I just, I put all my energy into my writing and I'm gr super grateful that I'm able to join these other communities and these other podcasts where they, they're giving me a voice as well. So like bless them for that. That's awesome. That, that it's like I said, like uh, when you never suspect to be, have like a community or be a part of some or actually make friends over YouTube, yeah. but you actually do. And it's pretty awesome. Like I, when we first started, we're like just, we're just going to be talking and I met people and worked with people and like, I'm, and it's just it's fun to like build these relationships for our love of movies. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. With that said, knowing and working with different people, has there been a specific person or people that have kind of challenged your, the way you think about movies in a sense? Like uh, everyone has, cause everyone it's subjective. So as they should. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I love that kind of conversation. Like a friend of mine, we've gotten very close. Um, he's at just Ryan again on Twitter. We, oh, are, yeah, yeah. yeah, we, we clash 24 seven. We're constantly arguing about movies cause we have very different tastes. And he's also, he's also writes for geekly goods. My friend film opinionitis Gabriel. We also, clash all the time and like he's a part of geekly goods and it's just the fact that like we're always talking about something and we always find like the negative aspect of it and we're clashing and clashing but at the end of the day if you don't have people to challenge you then you're not learning and like you all you're always learning about different perspectives from different people like as like a woman i may see it differently than a man in some case like i remember one clear example is darren aronofsky's mother which oh. i absolutely despise I cannot, <laughs> cannot stand that movie like as a woman watching it i was like this is wow it's affecting me like differently than it would for anyone else right so just having those discussions especially around that film was like it was interesting but i'm learning different perspectives so like that's the most important thing yeah, and that's pretty awesome. You'd be able to have, you know, those friendly conversations that are like debates. So that's a pretty awesome. You'd be able to have people that you can clash with, but also in a respectful way and challenges your thinking about things. And yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing about community, especially like positive community. Yeah, where people like can push you and challenge you. Like you know what, I really. With the way you're kind of giving, you know, talking to me about this thing, I think you just kind of solidified my liking of it, or maybe disliking it, or something, and that, or, or maybe even swaying you the other way, where you maybe, you know, what after bringing those points, seeing them from a different lens or a different aspect, maybe I didn't like it as much as that. Just knowing that now, I think that's yeah. very interesting how stuff like that kind of really happens, and, and that's, yeah, there's so much awesome, you know, material things to talk about when you film because there's there's so many different genres and characters that are all you know worth discussing and you know talking about so that's pretty awesome yeah uh, i don't want to take up too much of your time because i know that's uh, you bit you had a busy day too so uh, yeah let's talk a couple more questions uh, questions for you uh what are some of your favorite movies of all time Oh, those are the ones that I can just keep going back to and just like I they never get old. I always go with the same five. I think people are like tired of me saying it because I always say it. Um, I never switch them out ever. Like it's always the same five, and these are the same five films that I will recommend to everyone because they have to watch them. So number one is our favorite, The Departed. So I have to go with that. Number two is the best romantic comedy of all time, which is when Harry met Sally. 
Oh, good call, yes. Everyone to watch that. Nothing compares to it. I adore it. The third one, I'm going to go with a throwback animated film from Disney, and that's going to go to the Aristocats. Um, <laughs> I used to watch that film twice a day as a kid, and I modeled myself after Marie. I have a Marie onesie and a Marie mug, and I love her so much. So <laughs> the Aristocats is, is up there. Um, I'm gonna go with the Nolan film. I absolutely love Interstellar. I thought that it it was one of his most moving uh, films. I yeah. cried. I cry every single time I watch it. It's absolutely fantastic. One of his best, if not his best, in my opinion. Um, so I'm sorry I said that. Um, no, no. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I, have to, I have to keep saying I'm sorry. I'm Canadian. So oh my God, I'm sorry. I have an opinion. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, and my, my fifth one, yeah, I said four. My fifth one, we're going to go with The Sound of Music because it is an instant classic. It is mm -hmm. beautiful and my God, rest in peace. Christopher Plummer was like my first crush as a kid. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. And Julie Andrews is like absolutely stunning, but those are my top five. Those are really awesome movies. Uh, those are, yeah, those are some fun ones. My, my Disney one that I always watched was the little mermaid. And I was like, that was my go-to. That was, so that's like top 100 movies of all time. That's not, that's not coming out of it. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I that's that was my movie. Like that's the, my favorite Disney movie. And my like my parents like well, not my parents, but my mom worked at Disneyland. My grandmother worked there too. That's awesome. So we used to go, and we lived like a block away from it too. Before California Adventure was there, we used to go all the time. And uh, so mm -hmm. Disney was really embedded into us as a kid. So it's like, yeah, we had it. We had to love Disney. It seemed like so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So like some of my favorite ones that I like, I I need to update my top one hundred, but my. And the top five has pretty much stayed the same pretty much. And it's like the, the, you know, the departed, obviously I think empire strikes back because of that. I'm a star Wars fan, but also that, that moment of being sick kind of really solidified that it was my one of my favorites, you know, also the shining. So two movies from the 1980s, the shining is yes! fantastic. I love the shining. Sorry. I love it. Yeah. Uh, 12 angry men is my like amazing film. And I just like, that's what, how movies should be made from like all time. Like everything about that movie is fantastic. Like perfect to me. Yeah. And then also I think Shawshank redemption, it's kind of maybe the more the, the cheesy one that people like I've seen a billion times on TV, but there's something about that movie that I just absolutely like, I really enjoy. But when Henry met Sally, like you were saying was like the fantastic one. I really, really love that movie a lot too. That was that's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a great, great movie. We might have to we might have to talk to the guys into doing a deep dive conversation with that movie and then maybe have you on to like go into it. That'll be fun. Cool. I also don't want to disappoint you, but I've never watched Shawshank Redemption. Oh wow! See, there we go. Maybe we have maybe we have a first time watch episode with you for Shawshank Redemption. Well, I gotta I gotta watch it eventually. So that yeah. Everyone's always surprised. So, <laughs> no, that's such a good movie. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll, we'll plan an episode where we have you watch that movie and we'll talk about it together. <laughs> That'd be For fun. Sure. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, well, uh, we'll wrap it up there. But we, I know what I'm really, we've talked before about doing some other stuff together. So, looking forward to have you back on the channel. I know we got to, we got to do the departed at some, at some point. <laughs> we got to do it. Anyway, I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your day and uh, talking about your film journey. I know it's not 
ever ending like this episode is. It's still going to go. And so you guys definitely make sure you follow her. All her links will be in the show notes down below. And um, we're also a podcast. This is also going to be audio form if you guys couldn't watch the whole video. So make sure you check us out there too. Uh, one last time, where can we find you on uh, all your social media platforms? Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much, Adam, for having me. This was such a great interview. I had such a blast. Um, wow, this is great. And I'm I probably so- could keep talking if talking yeah. more, but I tried to, I don't want to take too long for it. No, you, it, this is awesome. And I'm so excited to collaborate with you in the future. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, you guys can find me at AMX NDA reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You can find me over at Candid Cinema on YouTube. You can go check out my website at candidxcinema.com. I also write for Geekly Goods. Sorry, I also write for Geekly Goods. I'm an editor for Geek Bomb. I'm also going to be on Movie Files live on Saturday. We do a One Division recap episode every single Saturday, and we're very excited. Um, and you can see me at Cinemania World <laughs> podcast. We just did one now. And um, yeah, you guys can just find me on Twitter. I'm always raving and ranting, and Adam sees it. and. <laughs> It's a lot, but yeah, thank you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again one last time. Until next time, guys, make sure you guys like, share, and subscribe everywhere on our both our channels and stuff. So, yeah, we'll see you guys later. <laughs> Bye.